Father, we thank you that we can come and give you praise. I know we can do it anytime, anywhere, any place, by ourselves or with a crowd. There's just something wonderful about being here together to do this today. So thank you for allowing us the privilege of giving you praise. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, receive it as our way, one way of expressing to you how grateful we are. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. I always want to make sure we don't always say it, but I always want to make sure that you know you have the freedom to sit down at any time during the set. Sometimes it's a little bit hard to stand the whole time, and uh, it's always that awkward, can I, should I, am I allowed, is it okay? Yes. All right? So always have the freedom even if we don't say it. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for coming last Sunday. Thanks for coming back. Welcome back. Great to have you. Last Sunday morning, we had over 800 people between the three services, so it was incredible, over 100 and some watching online, so we're incredibly blessed that you're back and that you're here and that we're able to continue to do this. We also want to make sure that we welcome our online community right now. This is the service that is always online so that everyone has the opportunity to experience it, even if you don't feel comfortable coming out or just simply can't come out for a number of other circumstances. One of the things we said we would do, because we've never been this route before, we have never in the history of humanity that I know of had to shut down church for 10 weeks, weren't sure how long it was going to last, what we were going to do, but the one thing we said to you, we would evaluate it as we go. And so we're going to continue. We've decided we're going to continue to have church. Is that okay? No. What's going to happen once after we were done last Sunday morning and we looked at it and discerned how long it was going to take for us to set up to the next service, we're going to starting next Sunday, July the 5th, and doing it for the month of July, and we'll evaluate it in the middle of July to see where we do in August. We're going to still stay at three services, but they will be 8, 9, 30, and 11. So uh, 8, 9, 30, and 11, the 9, 30 service will be the one that's going to also be online. 8, 9, 30, and 11 o'clock for the month of July. We also know that makes it a little bit easier for our volunteers who come here about 6.30 and now don't leave till noon or 12.30. And if you want to invite someone, those times are a little bit easier to remember to invite someone. And when you want to go to church in America, if you're not knowing anything about us, but you'd love to show up to our church, when would you normally think we go to church on Sunday morning in the United States? 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. So it gives visitors a chance to do that. All right, we still want you to register online. For another reason as well, starting July the 12th, we're going to offer children's ministry again. July the 12th, a couple of Sundays from now, we're going to offer children's ministries again. You need to sign up by age in Wombaland, of course, or grade in Upstreet. That lets us know how many to prepare for, what rooms to prepare, how many teachers and volunteers we need for that. So starting July the 12th, you'll keep hearing that over again next Sunday. If you could do that, we would appreciate that. Last Sunday morning, I said that it's wonderful to be here. It's incredible to watch online. We're so blessed to have been able to do that. But there's something about being here. There are a number of people who would also love to be here, but can't because they really need to wear a mask. And secondly, they need to sit with people who need to wear a mask. So starting next Sunday, for the 8 o'clock and 11 only, it won't affect you unless you see the sign, but for 8 o'clock and 11 only, and I'm saying that because the online community is now hearing this, we're going to have a special section probably over here somewhere for that group who needs to wear a mask 
but really has to be sitting with people who wear masks so that everyone feels comfortable and they have a chance to come and be a part of it. So they're hearing that now. Hopefully that will be more. That's also one of those categories that you'll see when you register so that we can do that well. 8 o'clock and 11 o'clock for that. Most of you obviously can sit in any section you like, but for that one it needs to be that way. And if you see us making that sign change for this service, at least you'll know that. And if you're watching us online this morning and that's you, we'd love to have you come back. But we want to help you in that area as well. I know you understand because you're one of the most incredible congregations I've ever seen or been around. And so I so appreciate that. I pointed it out in the first service. I don't know that any of you noticed, but did you notice that for the last 12 weeks, other than a letter we sent to you initially just to simply let you know how to support us, we never had to ask you for money. Any of you notice that? It's incredible. Other than that original letter, because we had no idea how long this was going to last, we were hoping for a couple of weeks, uh, we never had asked, but you continued to pour out your blessing on us. So from the depth of our soul, we really appreciate that. And thank you for supporting us so well in the middle of all that. We never, ever wondered once and never wavered in anything we needed to do. So thank you. We're in Romans chapter 12. We've been there for the last couple of weeks. I started one of them online, this one today and last Sunday, and then we're moving on. A couple of weeks ago when I began to think about what it was going to be when we came back, there were a number of sections of Scripture that I wrestled with. I was absolutely certain it was going to be Nehemiah. Keith Kozik said it was going to be in Nehemiah. We both studied Nehemiah, thought that's where we were going to go. And then I went to Peter and a couple of other places and then in the middle of that preparation, because we're a union, at 10 o'clock, I had to go out and get a cup of coffee. <laughs> right? Don't you all do that too? 10 o'clock, got to have coffee. 10.15, got to have coffee. This morning, I got to have a lot of coffee. Three services being here at 6.30, I got to have a lot of coffee. Wait till you see how fast that third sermon is going to go this morning. Come back into my office and my Bible is open literally right here, right now, just like this to Romans chapter 12. And I thought I wasn't even in there. Now, I don't play Russian roulette or Bible roulette. You know what that means? Okay, God, what do you want me to speak on uh, wherever it stops? I don't do that. But it was just odd that he wanted me there and it was there open. And so I studied it and read it and I thought that's exactly where we need to be. And then last Sunday morning after the feedback that I got from you, you confirmed that. We also weren't sure which Sunday we were going to start with Dave and Pam because uh, they had a much-needed vacation that they'd booked a year ago, and it worked into timing of that. After watching him lead last Sunday morning, God absolutely confirmed that we couldn't start back up until Dave led us in worship. So it was just a great day all the way around, and we're delighted that you could be here for that. Uh, as I read that chapter, I began to think about all the things that God wanted to teach us in this context here. And I realized when I looked at it that that whole living it out theme continues all the way through that entire chapter. That once I really understand what Christ did for me and that I embrace him as my savior, it fleshes itself out everywhere I go and with everyone I meet, inside and outside the church. Once I really understand who I am and what God's done for me, then I really want to make sure that I give him everything and serve in every way I know how. One of the most famous verses in Romans, aside from the 323, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God, and 623, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, is Romans 5.8, when Paul said, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
God demonstrated love. Didn't talk about love, just didn't make sure of it. I mentioned that I love you or say God so loved the world. Let me demonstrate what that love looks like in a visible way. God so loved this world, so demonstrated that love even while we were spitting in God's face. Even while we were walking away from him, even when we reject him, he still loves us enough to send his son to die on a cross on our behalf. It's incredible that God would do that. Not that I have to get my life fixed up. I don't have to get my act straightened out. I don't have to put all those things in place before somehow I can worthy to come before God. Even when I was sinning. Even when we were sinning, even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And when I honestly recognize who I am and that I can't do this on my own and I really don't deserve life, I don't deserve forgiveness, I know what I deserve, I know what I have done, when I recognize who I am and then I really understand that without Christ I'm lost and I have no other hope, I've tried all these other things and they don't work, and that I recognize that the God of the universe died for me, not just a good person or a good man or a great Messiah or a wonderful teacher, that the God of the universe died for me. Not just somebody that was doing their best who really liked us enough to want to offer himself on our behalf, but the God of the universe died for me. Paul would say, who wouldn't want that? He died for you, offer you forgiveness, offers you an opportunity to wipe the slate clean, and by the way, offers you eternal life. Who would not want that? I know I would. I want that. So when Paul uses a phrase that we see most translated, I beg you or I beseech you, as we see him almost on his knees pleading with us to understand all of that, I don't quite see it from that particular context. Paul is clearly laying out in that whole number of chapters, I need you to clearly understand what you were and what God did. And if you really understand that and you get a handle on who you are and what he offers, I got to believe you're going to say, sign me up. I want that. I found through the years that people come to Christ usually on one of two levels. They know enough they want to or they heard enough they have to. They know enough they want to. I've studied it. I've researched it. I've read the case for faith or the case for Christ. I recognize that he really is who he says he was. I want that. Sign me up. And there's a lot of people that come to faith in Christ when they hurt enough they have to and they realize, I have no place else to turn but him. And to be honest with you, that's just as wonderful as the first. So often when people will come to me and say, well, I feel like then God's a crutch. Good, because you're a cripple. I'm a cripple. And I can't get through this on my own. And I need what he offers. And when you realize and recognize that it was the God of the universe offering you all of that, you've got to say, God, Take me in. Here I am. And when I come to faith in Christ and I fully submit myself to him, I recognize it changes me. It changes how I think. It changes how I see myself. It changes the way I treat people, especially those in the household of faith. And he will go on to say it changes how I treat those outside the household of faith. I want to ask you a really honest statement that I need you to let sink in. If you say you're a follower of Christ, not just a church attender, I go to church. If you say you're a follower of Christ and it hasn't changed you in any way at all, you need to be extremely honest with yourself 
as to whether or not you've fully given yourself completely to him. If you say you're a follower of Christ and it hasn't changed you at all, the way you think, the way you view others, the way you treat other people, the way you treat others in the household of faith, the way you treat others outside the household of faith, if it hasn't changed you at all, you need to be really honest with yourself and say, have I really, fully given myself completely over to him? Because he says here, once you do, it changes you. Now, you may not be the best one to ask. You may not be the one to go in the mirror and say, how do I look to me? But if you're really honest and really trust the people around you, maybe you ought to have a conversation after church on the way home with your spouse or your friend or somebody this week at work and say, have you noticed any difference in me when I claim that I'm a follower of Christ? And if not, maybe there's some changes you need to make. We would love to help you with that. My father came to faith in Christ much later in life, around his late 20s somewhere along the way, a, a barber shared with him the gospel. By the way, I've been to one, in case you're wondering. Did you go or not? I went into her and I said, I got a challenge for you. I want you to cut my hair long. <laughs> I can do that. Barbara led him to faith in Christ and it changed the man. I mean, it changed him dramatically. And as a young kid, it was fascinating to watch that. As I'm now all of a sudden on this age of life and I see this man near the end of his life and I watch the impact that he's had on this Catholic family who had no concept of real faith in Christ, who now almost three quarters of them have come to faith in Christ. It's incredible to watch the influence. On Tuesday night, we had a family funeral for one of my aunts. She died of COVID a couple of months ago, and we had a memorial service for her on Tuesday night. And we were, we were driving away, and I began to think, th this one man who had a barber lead him to Christ who was just simply a, a, a guy who was passionate about talking to people about Jesus and the change he made has had more impact, to be honest with you, invisibly and physically one-on-one -on -one leading people to Christ than I think I have. Now I've been able to influence more by the sheer magnitude of the people that come to church and listen to my voice, but I am just overwhelmed at the influence that changed life can have on people who had no foundation in Christ that really wanted what he had. And I drove away thinking, wow. Power of an influence changed life is incredible. If it hasn't changed you at all, you need to really honestly look at that. Paul says it changes how I react to people. It needs to be sincere. Love needs to be genuine. You've got to hate what's evil, cling to what's good, be devoted to each other in love, honor other people above yourself, never be lacking in zeal or passion. But keep your spiritual fervor. Serve the Lord. Do it joyful. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Once you are so saturated with the love of God, it spills out everywhere you go. Once you are so saturated with the love of God, it just spills out everywhere you go. When people bump into you, Jesus spills out. Now, it doesn't happen all the time. Every once in a while, someone bumps into me and Jesus doesn't quite always spill out. <laughs> but when you're so saturated with the love of God, people bump into you, Jesus spills out. And it's not just that, uh, you know... I, I do it all the time. I do it the best I can, or I do it with people that I really like. It just spills out everywhere you go. And to be honest with you, it's not even something you have to manufacture. It becomes more natural. 
So instead of having to think about how I'm going to react to this person or that person or this situation or in that context, it just becomes the natural outcome of the depth of the relationship. doesn't mean you're perfect at all, but it becomes a natural outcome. Not a, I feel like it today or I don't feel like it tomorrow, because love that's referred to here is not something you fall into or out of. It is an action. It's something that I just naturally do because I want to respond to the people around me. Uh, you can tell that I'm not arrogant or proud, verse 3. You can see it in the way I use my gifts. I just want to serve. Matter of fact, I'm not even jealous about the gift that someone else has that I don't. I can serve what no one sees. I can serve when many see. In between all of these services and for the next few weeks, someone cleans the sanctuary. When we open up our children's ministry, they're cleaning a lot of this campus. You may never see them. You may notice them because they're wearing a blue surf shirt. But you may never, matter of fact, if you want to help us, we'd love that. Call the office, talk to Gary, and, and we'd love to help you, especially when you get a little bit tighter on the service turnaround. And they're just delighted to serve. They don't have to be noticed. They don't have to be identified. They just are delighted to serve. And when you really know that you're just wanting to use your gift for the glory of God, it really doesn't matter what people see or people notice. It happens inside the church, and in verse 14, it happens those outside the faith. Verse 14, blessed, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another, don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited, don't repay evil for evil to anyone. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, I love that phrase, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, said the Lord. On the contrary, the opposite of that, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is when it gets hard. This is when it gets hard. You see, it's one thing to do verses 9 to 13 within the family of God. Most people in church are easy to love, right? Not all everyone, but most people in church are easy to love. But when he moves to this dynamic, which I love the fact that he puts it in the context of the same chapter, when he moves to this dynamic, then you realize without verse 1, where I fully submit myself to him and let him so saturate me that it changes me everywhere I go, I am not going to be able to bless those who persecute me. Trust me. I may be able to do it for a while. <coughs> I may be able to do it for a moment. I may be able to do it once every so often. But I am not able to do this without fully understanding what verse 1 is all about. It's easy to love most people in church, but bless those who persecute you. That's when you need the power of Christ. Now when you read these verses, you obviously realize that Paul's been influenced by the teaching of Jesus. Because when you look at that whole context there from 14 on, you realize he has heard somebody talk about the Sermon on the Mount. Because when Jesus began his ministry, he began by talking about these very things. Because he knew it was radically different from anything they'd ever heard in the entire history of Judaism up to that particular point. So when Jesus comes on the scene as now God himself, 
And he starts talking this way. Blessed are those who persecute you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will find peace. Blessed are those who get out here what's in here, because then you will find what you need. And Paul's been influenced by that. So when you start listening to these verses, you recognize he's been influenced by that. Especially when you recognize his understanding of what Jesus went through during the crucifixion. Incredible three-year history of Christ and his ministry, the resurrection and the ascension, unreal. But those moments of the crucifixion is when he really was tested in who he said he was. You see, it's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. It's one thing to say, I can do that. I can be this person. I can love those who don't love me back. I can respond to those who are nasty to me. I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to get revenge. I don't have to do It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. And when he looks at the life of Jesus in his ministry, it was one thing for Jesus to teach it. And then when he understood the story of the cross, it was one thing to know he did it. One of the most incredible verses in Scripture is 1 Peter 2.23. It's in your sermon notes somewhere. If not, write it in your Bible. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate, referring to Jesus. That whole span of time between being arrested and tortured and put on a cross. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Peter, who writes that, saw it. He heard Jesus talk about it all along. He heard Jesus say what he was going to do and how he was going to handle it. But Peter watched it. And I've often wondered what it was like for Peter to sit down somewhere, wherever that may have been, as he writes out 1 Peter and said, I can't believe that. When he was on the cross, when I saw him, even though I was denying him and I saw what they were doing to him and I heard what they did to him and he didn't retaliate. And I can't imagine he was just writing so fast like I do sometimes when I'm doing a sermon and have had too much coffee. I can't imagine he was writing so fast that he didn't realize and recognize what he was saying. I saw that. How do you do that? I mean, how do you do that? Begins with verse 1. Didn't retaliate, left himself or entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And Peter knew that firsthand, and I have to believe it made an enormous impact on his life. And Paul, who's writing about it, had to hear the same story and knew it because he was confronted by that Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything. When we're all nice to one another and everybody gets along, it's easy to stay calm. But when someone gets in your face and somebody's in your grill, man, that's a different story. I got to be really sensitive to where we are because if it was simply three months ago, I'd get down and I'd find somebody and I'd be in your grill. Man, I would be in your face like right here. And I know we're not to do that and we shouldn't do that at all. But picture that in your head of somebody doing that. Yeah, it's one thing to be nice to one another here in the family of God. Everybody treats you well. Everybody sits in the right seat. Everybody spaces out. No one minds. No one rips off that tape and says, I'm sitting here anyhow. Everybody just sits down where they want to be. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's okay here. But it's when it's somebody gets in your face, which is exactly what he's saying, and there, then how do you respond? 
want to be extremely sensitive when I say this, and so I hope you understand the context. A month ago or so, I'm, I was downtown doing the protests in Butler, and I, I wanted to be there all day, so I spent probably seven, eight hours on Sunday and four or five on Monday and a two or three on Tuesday praying with, with people and, and all of that. And, and I said to Mike Sloop, who's our, our sheriff, I said, Mike, it's incredible to watch you. It was incredible to watch your, 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 your team. There were people screaming obscenities in their face for an hour and a half. And they took it. And I don't even know where these people were in their relationship with Christ. I know where Mike is. I'm not sure where any of them were. And I watched that and I thought, that's, that's an example. Please don't misunderstand the context. But I thought, I, that's incredible. Man, as a follower of Jesus, that ought to be such an epitome of us. It's unbelievable that when people in our grill, in our face, we can respond like that. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. When you apply verse 3 of the same context in Romans chapter 12, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according to the faith that's been distributed to you. Then you will are much more able to sense feel or respond to people in pain. And you're able to sense, feel, and respond to people who are joyful. If you really understand yourself as you ought to with sober judgment, then you ought to feel the pain of other people when they're going through deep, unbelievable pain. You need to feel the pain. I need to feel the pain of African Americans who so many times have had to cry for justice who didn't feel like they did or ever received it. And you need to feel the pain of what it was like for them who are crying out for justice to have others overtake all that and use it for the cause of violence and destruction. You need to feel, I need to feel the pain of 1,500 to 2,000 babies aborted every day. We need to feel the pain of Africans in Nigeria who are slaughtered villages entirely by radical groups like Boko Haram and many others like that. More Christians persecuted in the 20th and 21st century than the previous 19th centuries combined. See, right now, we're, we're, we're looking at one or two, isol not isolated, we're looking at one or two incidences that are, are driving so many things. And as, as followers of Christ, we need to be the kind of people who recognize pain in a number of different ways and the pain of number of people. Families who've been violated, homes have been violated, people who've been hurt, pain that's overwhelming, of children who've been neglected, children who've been abused, of spouses who've trusted that person to love and protect only to see them hurt and destroy. You need to feel the pain of those in law enforcement, so many of them who I know are, every single one of them I know are incredible people whose sole job was to serve and protect. And sometimes we need to feel their pain of now what it's like to have somebody look at them through the grid of a few evil people. And we need to feel that pain. Because I know these men and women. I don't know them all, all over America, but I know them. And we need to feel their pain because all they want to do is serve and protect. And they're looked at through this horrible microscope now. When we really understand ourselves as we should, 
then we're able to mourn with those who mourn and we recognize that it's, the list is endless of all of that. And we need to feel and recognize that and not feel so isolated in our context that we miss what's going on in the world around us and the pain that so many followers of Christ are facing, let alone people in the world. And as a follower of Jesus, we ought to know how to rejoice. Man, if anybody ought to know how to rejoice instead of being jealous of what somebody else got that we didn't, if anybody knows how to rejoice, it ought to be followers of Christ, right? I mean, we of all people ought to know how to rejoice. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. That ties back into verse 3 when it says, I fully understand who I am in light of other people. You need to know that low position doesn't mean someone's better than another. That's not a, the best translation the NIV could have come up with. It really means people who are humble or doing humble things. It can refer to associating with people that I normally wouldn't think to associate with, not because I'm better than or anything else. It's just that I, I need to recognize the broader span of humanity. And it also means I'm willing to do some menial tasks, things that a proud person would say is beneath them. I wouldn't pick up that trash. I wouldn't clean that up. Work in a medical field. Do you know anybody that wouldn't dare change a bedpan? Because it's beneath them. It's just, there's just all kinds of things in that context. We need to clearly understand that if we're followers of Christ, we're willing to do those things because nothing is really beneath us. I love the message translation. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't get stuck up. Make friends with everybody. Don't be that great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've gotten it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. It's not in you. It's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, God says. You leave it up to me. So verse 17 says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful what you do is the right in the eyes of everyone. Remember, people are watching to see if Christ really makes a difference, which I believe is what he's saying here. Verse 18 is incredibly powerful and unbelievably freeing. If it is possible, live at peace with all men. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Simply means this. You do your part. They are responsible for how they respond to your part. You follow me? You do your part. You and I are not responsible for their response. Strained relationships are incredibly challenging. But knowing you've done your best, which means you've done your best, you're not responsible for their response. And if I really embrace that, can be incredibly freeing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to get along with every. Can I, I know what the world tells you, especially if you're in the business world. The customer's not always right. Anybody, anybody believe that? Okay. I know we hear that. All, they're not always right. But as much as lies within you, live at peace. Do your best. To get along with everyone. Because somebody, I'm telling you, will make it tough. <laughs> to get along with everyone. Do your best. Verse, seven, or verse 19, don't take revenge. Leave room for God's wrath. It's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. There's a verse that I have somewhere in your sermon notes, cross-reference to Psalm 37, where the psalmist is seeming to say this. God, can I be really honest with you for a moment? I feel like I'm doing my best to follow after you and do everything I can, do everything you ask of me. 
and it doesn't seem to always go well for me, and the guy down the road who seems to be spitting in your face, who could care less about you, seems to be prospering. That doesn't seem fair. <laughs> and I love the conclusion that he comes to. It's almost as if God says to him, you need to take a broader look at all of this and a bigger picture of all this and back up enough to know this. You'll get yours, they'll get theirs. You'll get yours, which is heaven, they'll get theirs. So you leave that up to me. And step back enough to see the big picture and not only the moment of where you're at right now. God is God and he will definitely not allow evil to go unpunished. It's easy to forget that in a moment. He's not telling us we can't defend ourselves when it's necessary. But we cannot let that be our first response. Our follower, as followers of Christ, our first reaction needs to be to de-escalate with everything we have. Never pay back. Never look for revenge. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals of fire on his head. And you can't do that without first one. Also reminds us again of the teachings of Jesus. Heaving coals of fire is a number of different terms in the Old Testament, but one of them, when they see how you respond, which is opposite of what they expect, because they're expecting revenge, they're expecting you to come after them, and when they see you respond, every once in a while, it will bring them to the point of they'll recognize their own depravity. Coals of fire refers to God's judgment. And they'll recognize, wait a minute, they're, they're not responding like, I th I'm doing this, I'm doing that to them, and they're treating me with kindness. It doesn't. I'm glad you're sitting down. I've been in ministry 42 years, and not everybody like me. I know you're shocked by that. I know you're shocked by that. But one of the most enjoyable things to do, and I have to be careful when I say this, is just to love them like crazy. And love on them with everything you've got. Paul is saying you need to understand love is incredible. It's incredible. You ought, to re you ought to see the story Unbroken and more the story of Unbroken, which is a Japanese uh, a fellow that was interned in a Japanese prison camp. What you need to see is a follow-up story of his life. You ought to read the story of Corrie ten Boom. The majority of her family died in prison camps in Germany as a Jew, and she came out within radically transformed by Christ and she had to platform like very few other people did in the 80s and she went to one event and a prison guard believe it or not showed up and he walked up to her after the event and he held out his hand and she shook his hand and she said that man sobbed uncontrollably because he didn't know what to do with that kind of grace and that kind of forgiveness after what we know he did in that prison camp this chapter is powerful when fully realized and then lived out, which cannot stay here and it cannot stay here, can change you and I in unbelievable ways. It can change a church, maybe even a community, and if enough people do it, it can change the world, which is exactly what happened in the book of Acts when it said they turned the world upside down. If as followers of Christ, we're not different in how we live and how we love and how we act to the world around us, we have nothing to offer. If followers of Christ aren't different in how we love, how we live, how we react to the world around us, 
and what message we give. We have nothing to offer. But when we do this, we have everything to offer because they are desperately looking for the answer and they don't even know it. And it will lead us to look at this land and to do everything we can to pray for this nation, which is what we will do next Sunday morning on July 5th. We'll see you then. God, we thank you for your grace and your love and your word. Continue to allow us to live it out, not just simply hear it for a few moments, but to live it out every day of our lives and be the kind of people that makes such an incredible difference that people will want to know what makes us the way we are in a world that is so desperate for answers. May they see them in us and see it in us and that we'll share it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for your paying attention. God bless you.